Hey there, nomads. Welcome to the Gone Nomad Van Life RV Life podcast. I am your host, Rav Holly. Some call me Step Van Rav, but I'm a fellow nomad living that Step Van life in my 2003 MT45 retired Snap-on truck. Thanks, guys, for uh, stopping by and checking out this brand new rebranded podcast. If you look around a little bit, you'll see there's some uh, old episodes on this channel because this actually used to be my photography podcast that I did about, I don't know, 15 episodes before I gave it up, but uh, I'm back, but rebranded, and we're just going to be talking about van life mostly on this channel these days. That's why we've rebranded everything, and it's called Gone Nomad, because I went nomad, as a lot of you have, as a lot of people have. If you search the van life hashtag on Instagram, we all know there's over 100,000 van life hashtags. So it's not anything new these days, the van life, but a lot of us are living it. And I actually thought I would give you guys a little peek into what brought me into van life or discuss it a little bit on how I got into van life and why I decided on van life. Going back to, gosh, I had, I had a buddy of mine back in 2008 called Randy Prim. He started, he was the first RV YouTuber and he started a YouTube channel called Road Bandit. And Randy actually is a professional broadcast person. He's been to professional broadcasting school. He's worked for TV shows. He's actually shooting the NFL right now. I saw a picture of him the other day on his Facebook page and he was holding the camera while they were doing an interview with one of the NFL players. I believe at one of the preseason games or something. So, you know, he is a professional broadcast person and knows professional broadcasting. And uh, he had this YouTube channel that was an RV channel called uh, Road Bandit. He had a very cool little intro. Uh, You can still find it if you go to YouTube and you search for Randy Prim, R-A-N-D-Y-P-R-I-M-M, I I believe. It may just be one M. But then type in Randy Prim Road Bandit, R-O-A-D. B-A-N-D-I-T, like smoking the Bandit, but Road Bandit. And uh, you will find his trailer, and it's a cute little trailer, and he's a guy that, he's like six, I don't know how tall he is, is he six eight? He's either six eight or six eleven, uh, but he's not a little guy. Uh, you know, like, there's another, but he had a cat. He traveled around in this old C-Class RV with his cat. A lot like somebody else we know, but that other somebody else that's a very popular YouTuber these days, it kind of does the same, has the same genre or the same uh, niche. Uh, he's only like five foot tall, I believe, <laughs> from what I've heard. Never met him in person. I've never seen him in person. I've never actually met him. I just hear he's not a He's not near as tall as Randy. Uh, Randy's a tall guy. and uh, But if you can imagine this big, gigantic, enormous guy living in like this old, uh, you know, C-class, not very nice, you know, RV. Uh, but uh, he started his channel. And this was back before Google had actually acquired YouTube. So there was no such thing as AdSense at this time. So you really could not make any money. Uh, You didn't make any money from any ads from YouTube because there were no ads being served on YouTube. There was no AdSense or there was no uh, opportunity there to make money. But what Randy had envisioned was he would be able to do this on donation, on a donation base. He thought he would be able to get a fan base that would follow his journey and would donate enough money to keep him fed and his cat fed and keep him in, you know, fuel in the tank and keep him on the road. Needless to say, 
Randy was a man before his time because uh, that was not the case. Uh, he ended up being in stranded with no money and no gas and being in pretty bad shape. And uh, I think uh, the RV life took a toll on him. I think he was going to do it for a year and I don't think he quite lasted a year. Uh, and I've tried to talk to him about it, but I think it's a sore spot for him these days when he sees these YouTubers that have made it in the RV community. So he really doesn't have much to say about it. You know, I've mentioned to him a couple of times how, you know, he was a pioneer and such a man before his time. But anyway, that's, I've gotten off on the Randy Prim uh, story, but Randy was the very first person that put that idea that you could live in an RV in my mind. And then my aunt and uncle, my step aunt and uncle in New Mexico, they owned a oil company. Uh, that done some kind of, they didn't actually own the oil company, but they owned the roughneck crew that checked the wells, or I don't know, I can't remember what those guys are called that drive around and check the wells and do all that kind of stuff. But they owned a company uh, and were pretty fairly well off and bought a very nice like Bluebird RV or Provost or something, I can't remember, but one of the really high-end, very expensive uh RVs, and they ended up selling their house in Hobbs, New Mexico, and living in that luxury RV, bus, whatever it is, uh, kind of like a tour bus, but it's, you know, it's an RV, but they ended up selling their house in Hobbs, New Mexico, and living in their bus for a year or maybe two years, I believe. I can't remember exactly how long they did it, but, you know, I thought they were kind of crazy at the time. Uh, but I look back and no, they were very, they were actually very smart. Uh, but, uh, when Randy was doing his thing, I thought he was crazy too. I was like, man, these guys are crazy. You're crazy, man. Like who wants to live in an RV? I want to live in a house. You know what I mean? That's, that was my attitude, but he did. sow the seed Randy Prim did. So I really started looking around and looking at different alternatives because I was being basically drowned drowned, drowned. I was being, by the high price of rent, I was paying here for the place that I had in LA. I was paying a ton of money for it. I'm not going to say how much. I'm just going to say it was a lot of money because I had a large warehouse live workspace. And it I'm not, don't get any ideas. Like you think this place was some cool ass, big ass warehouse, immaculate, cool warehouse. No, it wasn't. What I had was uh, like a two-story apartment building that had a first-floor parking garage. So there was five units, I think. There was a storefront of two units that had a storefront, and then above, and then upstairs there were two or four apartments. But anyway, there was a garage for the building. Well, the landlord that ended up buying the building ended up turning the parking garage into a live workspace. He built a bathroom in it and a little like bar area and a shower with a bathroom and everything and started renting it as a live workspace and I rented it. And when I rented it, it was a disaster area. It took me a, two weeks just to clean the place up uh, because the guy that was living there before me was a hoarder and uh, he'd been living there for years and years and there was literally like he had like mechanic parts and all kinds of stuff. He had actually, actually been a mechanic at some point and worked on cars. And then he got, his health got too bad where he couldn't work on cars, but there were like old cars in there. And I mean, it was, it was a mess. 
And then when I got it, uh, the landlord basically just cleaned it out, but he really didn't clean it. So I ended up having to be the one that cleaned it and painted it and did all the, the work to it to make it actually livable. But it was a large space and I was looking for something that I could use as a live workspace, as a photography studio and a place. I had two Harley Davidsons at the time. I had a 66 Mustang, so I needed a place I could keep my Mustang indoors and my motorcycles indoors. So that was the perfect spot for me. So that's why I ended up renting the place. And uh, you pay like a dollar a square foot, I believe, out here. And, or at that time in L.A., it was, about, it was right at about a dollar square foot. So this place was 3,300 square feet. So if that gives you any idea. And then I ended up renting at this point in my life. I was doing fairly well as a commercial photographer. Uh, so I was making, you know, pretty close to double digits every month. And I was, uh, you know, traveling a lot. But uh, I was doing fairly well, I can, uh, very well, uh, you know, career-wise, I was making enough money to where I ended up renting the front space as well. So I ended up having one of the storefronts that I turned into a gallery in my office, and then I had the warehouse in the back, or the parking garage that's now a warehouse. Um, so I ended up paying, I think I rented the front space, he wanted like, I think he wanted 1500 for the front space and he ended up giving it to me for 12. So then I had two, I had the back warehouse and the front storefront that I was paying both, uh, for those. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't cheap. Uh, and I look back on it now and if it hadn't been for the parking situation, I could have been living in like a luxury loft, but everywhere I looked, nobody had, nobody could accommodate me having my, I had two cars, at that time, I had a, well, I still have the Land Rover, but it's in storage. I, had like, I have like my old 2004 Land Rover Discovery. And then I had a 66 Mustang that was my weekend play around car. And then my toy. And then I had two Harley Davidson motorcycles. So, you know, I would look at these luxury lofts and stuff that were the same price, but they only had parking for one or two cars, you know. And uh, a lot of times those were not, you know, secure parking areas. And, uh, or outside, I wasn't going to park my 66 Mustang and my motorcycles outside. Uh, so, you know, that was something that, you know, I, one reason I kept the building, um, and kept renting the building. Uh, but my career started to wane because, uh, the market, the photography market just in Los Angeles became so oversaturated, has become so oversaturated that, uh, from, I don't know, 2012, it started taking a downturn till like 20, the beginning of 2014, like my income got cut, not it, it, I mean, it got slashed three quarters of what it had been. So I was, I had to give up the front, uh, after I spent, oh my gosh, like 20 grand getting the, the front space, uh, all done and fixed up and turned into a gallery space. Um, yeah, so I had to let that go. Uh, but then I still had the back, the back warehouse. I just let the storefront, the gallery go and I still had the back space and I was barely clearing the rent for the back space. And then it got to a point where there was a couple of months that I was $300 short for the back space. Well, $300 isn't very much money, but when it starts adding up a couple of years, a couple of months, uh, before you know it, you're a thousand dollars 
thousand dollars, you know, two or three months go by and you're, you're short every time. And the landlord was very nice to work with me on the thing, but I could just see that, uh, my career wasn't going up. It was going down. So I was kind of in a panic on what I was going to do. Well, at this time, rent has climbed since I've been living in this space, because when I got the space, uh, there were a lot of places that I could have rented that was, uh, you know, that was cheaper than what I than what I had. But by the time it came time, uh, this is 2014, I believe, if I remember right. By the time it come that time for me to have to move out of this, my large warehouse, I started looking around and little tiny, even little tiny like studio apartments where there's not even a bedroom. You just have one little living space. They were all twelve, fourteen hundred dollars $1,400 a month. Like uh, I'd lived in one years before, like in 2007, that was $7.95 a month. That was more what I was still along the lines of what I was looking at. I wasn't finding any of that anywhere in the city of Los Angeles. The only place I could find something like that, anything that was like around $900 a month, which was a little bit more than I wanted to pay. I really wanted to stay around that 750, you know, not quite 800 mark. And anything that I found was basically just renting a bedroom in someone's house. And I'm at an age where I'm not into the roommate thing. I've always lived in my own space. I'm very into having my own place. I don't like sharing my space unless it's with a love interest some girl that I'm dating or something like that, then it's not a big deal. But having roommates is really not my thing. Um, and I really had to do some soul searching about it and really thought about it. Like, what am I going to do this? Am I going to get a, you know, am I just going to rent a bedroom and then put all my stuff in storage? You know, what am I going to do? But when my income started taking a downturn and I kind of saw the writing on the wall, I had a little bit of money saved up at one time, and I started looking at tiny homes, you know, the ones that are built on the trailer that, you know, that are, that you can actually move around, but it's actually kind of a house. And I really started looking around at those. And I'd found a couple for like 20 grand that were local. But the problem was, is there was no place to put it. I had no place to put a tiny home. So I started looking around at land, which led me out, uh, towards the desert which I didn't know anything about the California desert at that time. And I'd never really been out in the California desert other than just passing through. But what I did was um, I had heard about this place called Joshua Tree and how magical it was because Jim Morrison from The Doors, that was like one of his favorite places in the world was Paris and Joshua Tree. And I did not know anything about Joshua Tree, but I thought, hey, you know, uh, somebody, or I'd seen something, I think I'd seen a Craigslist ad for land, uh, for sale in Joshua tree. And it was like five acres for like $2,500. So I was like, what in the world? Like that is super cheap. So I ended up going, um, on a Craigslist search and started looking for property for rent in Joshua tree, just to get an idea. If the land is that cheap to buy, what could you rent a place for? And lo and behold, there were several places that were for rent. There was a whole list of houses that were under $1,000, which was right in my budget for a house. So I started looking around uh, and 29 Palms, which is where the military base is, uh, the Marine base, I believe, is in 29 Palms. There's a big Marine base there. I think it's the second biggest in the United States. They're in 29 Palms. And then uh, there's Joshua Tree. 
and then there is Yucca Valley. So Joshua Tree is literally right in the middle, not right in the middle. There's Yucca Valley, and then six or seven miles away, you have Joshua Tree, and then I think another six miles, five miles, you have 29 Palms, but they're all kind of right there in a row. row. So I kind of had these three towns that I was looking at properties. And I found a property out in Yucca Valley that was way out in the day. I mean, it was way out there by itself, but I really liked the house. It was kind of like the old Santa Fe flat roof looking house. And it was out there on a hill, but it had a lot of water damage or runoff damage uh, where the runoff was degrading the foundation of the house. So I talked to the broker about that and there wasn't really anything that they were going to do about that. And the house was for rent and it was for sale. And I had actually already put in a, uh, I'd already put in a application to rent the house and pretty much had been approved. We we're just waiting on the finality of everything to be approved. But the house was for sale. I want to say it was like 37000 or 42000 It was pretty cheap. It was listed pretty cheap. And lo and behold, before I got it rented, somebody came in and paid cash for it and bought it out from underneath me. So I didn't get to rent that house. Uh, but the owner, and I mean the owner, the broker, my rental broker that I was talking to, he ended up having another house. And he goes, hey, I have another house that's actually in Joshua Tree. It's on five acres and it's actually in the city of Joshua Tree. I was like, holy cow, really? Okay. Because one thing I was really worried about and, and, and what I found out later, if I would have got that first house, there was no internet to that house. There was no internet out there and you could not really get good, reliable internet. Well, I work on the web. I work online. I do a a lot of things online. So having internet, even now as a nomad, I have the Verizon $70 or $65 um, unlimited plan. So I have the Jetpack, the Mofir, whatever it's called, the little Jetpack, and I have unlimited internet in my truck at all times. I do not like living without unlimited internet. So they say everything happens for a reason. So that house got leased out from underneath me. And then he had the other house in Joshua Tree. And I think the house that I was going to lease in the desert was $750. And the house he had in Joshua Tree was $795, I believe. But I went and looked at it. And I did not like the house, per se, as good as I liked the one that was the stucco or the the Spanish style old flat roof type. And it had like a detached garage that I could have made a shop out of. I could have literally made a studio out of it. Um, the house in Joshua tree had no garage. It had a little tiny storage building in the back. And, uh, but it was right there in Joshua tree. So I ended up going ahead and renting that house. It had a really nice covered patio, uh, porch area. It had, Uh, it was only a one bedroom. It was like maybe 800 square feet, which is what I was wanting. I wanted something really small, uh, just for me as a bachelor, but it had like, uh, the French doors to the master bedroom, French doors opening up into the living room. So on really beautiful, nice nights when it was quiet and still, I could literally open all the doors and just, you know, have the breeze blowing through the house. I later realized that was a big mistake when I had a huge rat get into the house and crawled up under one of my dressers and died. And uh, I couldn't figure out what that smell was. And I finally found the rat that was like the size of my foot. Uh, so, uh, and I also found a rattlesnake up underneath one of my jacks. I had a floor jack 
that I had put out on the patio and uh, went out one day to walk my dog and heard the rattlesnake rattling under the jack. Being from West Texas, I knew exactly what that sound was, even though I hadn't heard it in 20 years. But uh, yeah, that was life in Joshua Tree. But the main thing was the price was right. So I ended up moving to Joshua Tree for three years. And uh, I will say I never had a love affair with that house. I never really liked that house. Uh, it was small, but it se- it still seemed way too big for just me. It was just me by myself. And when I first moved out there, I was getting all kinds of friends coming out from LA to visit. Like every single weekend, somebody was out to visit me. But, uh, you know, that, that changed over time. Uh, once I got out there and was out there, uh, all of a sudden everybody stopped coming to visit. There was no visitors. Um, uh, so, you know, I was just kind of out there and it seemed like this big house by myself and, uh, you know, it just seemed like more space than what I needed for just me. So I, uh, you know, I, I did my thing out there for three years and then, um, I came home one day. I actually, I was trying to find work out there. Let's go back to work because when I moved out there, uh, it's a large artist community. And I really thought that I would be able to find some, some work as a photographer out there. Uh, within a month, I realized right away there was no work out there. Uh, excuse me. It is a rural area and it is mostly a lower income rural area. The locals are not rich. They are just regular everyday average people from a, uh, lower to middle income bracket. So that's the locals. Then you have a lot of rich LA yuppie types, kind of like myself that had moved out there because they thought the desert was cool and they just, uh, wanted to get away from LA and just kind of be out there and, you know, be, be in the mix of being a, uh, you know, a desert dweller. Uh, and it's a big artist community out there, but the artist community don't really pay anything unless you're like an artist that's making sculptures or painting or something like that. There was really no work for me as a photographer. So I was starving. I was literally making around $800 a month at that time. And my rent was seven ninety five. So you do the math. Uh, I still had a cable bill that, or a, a internet bill that I had to be paid. I still had, I had to pay the water, I had to pay the trash, I had to pay the electricity, and I'm not going to lie to you, I couldn't afford the trash. I ended up, you know, you know, having to do, you know, finagle myself because uh, the trash company came and picked up the trash can. So I lived out there three years with no trash can, having to haul my trash. I would take it into L.A. When I would go to L.A., I would save it up and take it into L.A. And the other thing is like, putting the trash in the back, the rats and everything, or the, the squirrels or whatever they're called. The, well, I can't think of what they're called. They have filled mice. They're like mice, but they're, uh, gosh, I can't think of the name of them. They have big eyes, but anyway, they would get into the trash and it was just a mess. And then I'd have to clean it all up and then pack it into my, the back of my truck and then haul it into LA. Anytime I was going into LA, which sometimes maybe wouldn't be, but once every two months or something like that. So it was not the ideal situation. And I was looking for any work that I could find. 
So finally, I really started looking in L.A. and started looking about, you know, coming back to work in L.A. And I went ahead and booked on a show called The People vs. O.J. Simpson. It was a brand new series called America Crime Story that was executive produced by Ryan Murphy, who uh, he did Nip Tuck from Nip Tuck fame. He did Glee. He's had several other big hits. American Horror Story was a sister show. And now they have 911 that is uh, an, another sister show. And those are all shows I've actually worked on now. But at that time, uh, it was American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson. And so I was driving. I booked on that show and I was driving. I was just a production assistant on that show. Uh, but I was driving back and forth from Joshua Tree to L.A., which is 130 miles one way. And I have a Land Rover that's an SUV. It's, it was really, it was pretty nice at the time, but I actually wore it out driving it back and forth to LA. But I would end up working all week and then I would just live in my truck on the weekends. Most people don't know this. Sometimes I would just stay in my truck in the parking garage from uh, whatever time we got off on Friday until I went back to work on Monday. Sometimes I wouldn't even leave the parking garage. I would drive all the way up to the top floor of the parking garage and park up there. And I would buy like a box of snacks uh, in Joshua Tree at the Walmart when I left. So I'd have like beef jerky and chips and Gatorade and waters and stuff like that. And I would basically just stay reclined in my truck and just live in my truck for the weekend. Or I would leave, you know, sometimes and go running around LA. And then I had a place I parked my uh, Land Rover. But long story short, it wasn't the most comfortable. It wasn't the most comfortable uh, sleeping arrangement, sleeping in that truck. And uh, I mean, I was very stealth. I mean, I didn't really have any problems, you know, anywhere I went because it was a fairly nice vehicle and nobody really expects anybody to be in a nice Land Rover and to be, uh, you know, living in the thing for the weekend. But that's exactly what I was doing. And I really wouldn't tell, I wasn't telling anybody, uh, like once a week, once every two weeks, I would rent this shabby, I mean, just shabby, shabby motel room. It was horrendous, but it was like the closest hotel motel, not a hotel. This was a motel, uh, like a roach infested motel. I never saw any roaches, but it was, you would think there would be. Um, and I was always worried about bed bugs, but I would end up, um, renting this motel room for like $89 a night. I would rent it for one night, uh, just so I could have a regular bed just to sleep in and get caught up on my rest and be able to move around and watch a little TV and, you know, just chill. Now, I will say at the Fox lot, when, when I was working on American Crime Story, when we were on the lot, there is a there is a locker room. There's a men's locker room. Uh, so you I could go every morning and I could shower or in the evening I could shower, take a shower, clean up before I went to work. I showered every morning. I only showered maybe one time in the evening. I always showered at, if I had like a nine o'clock call time, I would wake up at seven, seven thirty, and then I'd get in the shower by eight and then I'd be at work by nine. So that's what I did the entire time I was working, the entire first couple of months I was working on the OJ show. And just out of a whim, one day I was searching around on Craigslist looking at vehicles because I'm a, I'm a vehicle nut. Even if I don't have money to buy a vehicle, I'll still look at, you know, I'll find myself looking at 72 GTOs that are $60,000 and I have no money to buy one, but I'll spend hours looking at, 
uh, eBay and Craigslist and everything else looking at them, just thinking about if I had the money, I'd buy one kind of thing. But uh, I was looking at you know, vintage cars or, you know, different cars. I think I was looking at gas savers at that time. I was thinking about maybe trying to get like a little, um, uh, what's the little battery, the Prius. I was trying to think about maybe getting a Prius because my buddy Corey had had one and it actually had a very fairly large back, uh, cover. You know, you could lay the seats down and you could basically put a bed in the back of one of those things. So I was kind of looking at that and the simple fact that they got such good mileage because it was a hybrid, and, uh, you know, batteries and gas is what I wanted was the hybrid, not the all electric because I live too far away from LA, but I thought if I got a hybrid that, you know, run on gas, but anytime, uh, the gas was, you know, it, it would run on batteries as well kind of thing. So that was kind of what I was looking at when I just all of a sudden just started looking through the RVs. Yeah. Started looking at RVs. I just, I don't even know how I ended up there, but I thought, Hey, you know, if I had an RV, I could, cause I could, I saw where this, a couple of RVs had parked not far from the Fox lot. And I was like, man, if I had an RV, I could just park right there by those guys. And so I started looking through RVs and then, uh, I had a buddy of mine, Corey, uh, I was going out to visit him and this, he was the one that really put it into my mind because, um, I, I should back up because this came, I'm putting the, this came before this, my buddy, Corey, who's one of my really good friends. Uh, he's a lot younger than me. He's like young enough to be my son. Uh, he could be my kid, but, uh, he was living in Huntington beach with his girlfriend and he invited me over and he was telling me about this RV that was for sale. That was so cool. And so I went over to visit, uh, they were living in downtown Huntington beach and sure enough, uh, we walked over and he showed me this little RV that was for sale. And the RV was like a, I don't know, it was like a 78 uh, Winnebago Brave, the little mini Winnie type thing, the little shorty that's like, I think it's like 20 foot, maybe 22 foot, but it, it looks just like a box. The front of it actually looks like a semi truck, but it's just this, it's just a box. Uh, but this thing had all been restored on the outside. It was actually very, very nice. And it had a, the washer dryer combo on the inside of it. Now the inside of it was pretty much original. The outside of it had all been restored. So it had a toolbox built on the back of it. It was just a very, very, very nice RV. Um, as far as that age, I mean, it was an old, old RV, but I got to talking to the guy and I think it had a 318 in it. And he basically told me like 55 miles an hour on the freeway was as good as it was going to get. So that kind of worried me because I'm thinking, hmm, I know people in L.A. drive like 100 miles an hour. So I can't imagine trying to get this thing out on the freeway without getting run over in it. You know what I mean? Just trying to merge into traffic if you can't get it over 55 miles an hour. So that kind of freaked me out a little bit. I thought it was well underpowered because it's a pretty decent size little, that's a pretty decent size little rig just to have a 318 in it. Uh, I mean, even a 360, I would think would be a little bit, you know, small. I mean, a you know, 440, like Bertha's got in it, you know, that that's, you know, I think a 360 would pull it just fine, but I thought the 318 was a little, un, would be way underpowered, but I could see pulling that out and putting a six BT diesel in it. And there's actually a guy on Instagram who has done that very, that exact thing, uh, put a six BT diesel in, uh, in, uh, a, a brave that exact same type of, uh, RV. 
uh, and I followed his story on Instagram uh, or followed his Instagram post while he was putting the diesel in it. And it's, it's all done now. He's a mechanic and uh, did an amazing, did an amazing job on it and uh, has a cool, cool rig. But anyway, uh, I wasn't too uh, keen on the 318, but I did like the rig a lot, but he wanted $5,500 for it at the time or 65. And it was just a little bit steep. If it had been, if the RV had been kind of freshened up on the inside, I think I might've went for it. But I mean, it was still like the old seventies paneling with like the, the, you know, the olive green drapery. And I mean, it looked like 1972 on the inside. So I just thought that was a little overpriced, even though the outside had been completely, I mean, it looked pretty much brand new on the outside. And, uh, the one thing that they did do that I thought was pretty amazing that I've never not seen before is I guess those things are aluminum. Those uh, Winnebago's, they're aluminum. So what they did was they stripped the paint on the top of it. So it was all aluminum like an Airstream. Uh, they got rid of all the paint and they, they put like a painted stripe on it that was the original colors. But the whole rig itself was uh, like a, the aluminum, like an Airstream which I thought was really, really, really cool. It really looked awesome. And they tinted the windows. And I mean, it was just a really cool looking rig. Don't get me wrong. If I would have bought that rig, if he would have come down in price, but he wasn't budging on the price, but if he would have come down in price, I would have bought that rig. And I would probably, you know, be in the same boat I am now, or, you know, I'd be like trying to sell it after I got the Snap-on truck, like I'm trying to sell Bertha. But anyway, uh, Corey, turned me onto that. And after seeing that, I was really sold on, man, I kind of want an RV, but I had never thought myself to be the type of person that would want like an RV. Cause that was for old people. You know what I mean? That was like for 60 something year old retirees, RVs, you know, when you see RVs running around, you expect to see somebody with gray hair driving them. You know what I mean? So I just, you know, I'm, I was at that time still, all into being cool and everything. I was all more into being, you know, like, uh, you know, wearing cool designer clothing, you know, wearing nice watches and, you know, having an old RV just didn't really fit that narrative of trying to be Mr. Cool, you know, Mr. LA Hollywood cool. So that was something that I was really, you know, struggling with. But when I started searching through Craigslist, I found this RV, this camper van, and this was before the van life or the RV life really had gotten crazy, you know, crazy faddish like it is now. Uh, so you could find a lot of RVs on Craigslist for decent money. You know what I mean? And so I found, I saw this rig and it had been on there. I saw it. I was like, yeah, it's kind of like what I want, but not exactly. And uh, I was really wanting something that was four wheel drive, which is pretty much impossible to find unless you get a Sprinter. And which was what I had originally wanted was a Sprinter back in 2014. And then uh, I talked to a couple of people that had them that wasn't too high on the price of repairing them and the problems that they had had with them. So I quickly decided I didn't want a Sprinter. So I was stuck with not being able to, I knew I wasn't going to be able to get a four wheel drive basically, but uh, I was looking around at RVs and I saw this RV and, uh, it had been on Craigslist for about a month. Every time I would go, I would just check to see if that RV was still there. And sure enough, it was still there every single time. And that RV, come to find out, ended up being Bertha, which I ended up buying. Um, and uh, I ended up buying Bertha, which is my uh, vintage Dodge, one of a kind camper van. 
um, that I still have. She's for sale. If you're looking for an amazing camper van with 400 watts of solar on the roof, a brand new 75, uh, 7,500 uh, max air fan with a smoke glass with a remote control, a 3,000 watt pure sine wave inverter, four AGM amp hour, 110 amp hour batteries. I know, I know everybody's going to lithium, but when I put this solar system together, nobody was doing lithium. But now everybody's going to lithium, I understand. So you can replace those four batteries with lithium if you want to. But right now they worked fine for me. Uh, it's got like a 24-inch TV in it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's got a bathroom. It's got dual water tanks. Uh, so it'll hold about 75 to 100 gallons of fresh water. Um, now the, the gray tank and the black tank isn't near that large. So you have to dump them, you know, before you'll run out of water. But, uh, you know, that's that's another story that we could talk a little bit more about because I kind of uh, fixed that in a certain way, and I'll let you know how, uh, to whoever wants to buy it. So you don't have to, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. But just know that uh, it that thing holds a lot of water. It holds a lot of water, uh, fresh water. So anyway, uh, yeah, I ended up buying Bertha, and I bought Bertha and started bringing Bertha in from Joshua Tree, my camper van, Dodge camper van. And I would stay just like a mile down from the Fox lot over off Pico in Los Angeles. It's actually Century City. Uh, but I would stay in Los Angeles, not far uh, from the Fox lot on Pico in Century City. And in the morning, I would either get up and take a shower and walk to the lot, or I would, I ended up getting a gas bike. And I rode it a couple of times, a few times to the lot. And then I had a regular bike at one time that I rode to the lot, but it ended up getting stolen uh, when I had a girlfriend and we were in downtown LA. But uh, that was after OJ ended. While OJ was going on, uh, I uh, lived in the RV just a mile away from the Fox lot. And I saved up money after buying the RV. I saved up money for the rest of the show while I was working on the OJ show. And as soon as OJ ended, uh, I ended up with a girlfriend, uh, Casey, and her and I ended up taking off. I went to Vegas because she lives in Vegas. And uh, I went to Vegas and picked her up. And we basically just went traveling for like two or three months and in the RV and just absolutely had a blast. We mostly just stayed around, uh, you know, Nevada. We didn't really venture too far away from Vegas, but we went and visited pretty much every place around Vegas and every place out, you know, a little ways from Vegas. Uh, we stayed at Gene Lake dry roach bed. We boondocked out there one night when it was like the wind was blowing like 60 miles an hour. I mean, we, we did a lot of things. We had a lot of fun. And staying in that RV for that amount of time, I was gone from my house. Remember, I still had my house in Joshua Tree, but I had no time limit on when I needed to be back at my house. I had my dog with me, I had my girl with me, and we were just traveling around and just living in the RV. The RV had everything that we needed, except at that time we had no solar, I had no solar on it. We had one house battery that was pretty much shot. Uh, so we didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of ways to charge our phones and stuff like that unless we were driving, but we made do, made do with it. Uh, you know, and we had a blast. I still talk to her from time to time and she still talks about it. That was like one of the funnest times of her life because we just traveled. You know what I mean? We ended up spending a lot more money than we should have. We really didn't, uh, 
you know, we didn't, you know, really pinch pennies like we should have. We just kind of splurged. So we, we burned through a lot of money in like two or three months. Uh, and I ended up having to haul butt back to Joshua tree and I brought her with me and we, I started looking for work and then her, and then her and I, as long as we were in the RV, we were great. We were, you know, we had our, we had our problems like every couple, but we were okay. Once we got back to Joshua tree and we were living together in the house, it went, it went South quick. Uh, just wasn't a, it just wasn't a conducive to both of us living in a house together. We did it for, I think a month, I think after new year's, we spent Christmas together in the new year's. And then after new year's, I ended up uh, packing her up and taking her back actually to Henderson, which is uh, right outside of uh, Las Vegas. It's a suburb of Las Vegas where she lives. And I took her back to her apartment in Henderson. And then I returned back to my house in Joshua tree. I kind of went through like a little, I'm not going to say depressed mode, but uh, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was, I was a little down about the whole thing. And, um, I had my little dog at the time and I was thinking, man, like why? Cause in my house, even though it was 800 square feet, I had my office with my computers and my desk and everything. And that's where I spent 90% of my time. Like I would, I would be at my desk or I would go outside. I would be outside. And if I went in the house, I would go to my desk because I don't really watch TV. So I would go to my desk. I watch YouTube or something like that. But, or I would be working on the computer or doing whatever I was doing, but I would be at my desk and then I would stay at my desk. And then when it was time to do something, I would get up and go to the bedroom and lay in the bed and go to sleep. Uh, or I would be at the, at my desk and I would get up and I would go in the kitchen and just grab me something to eat and then go back to my desk and eat it. And then I would eat and then I would, uh, you know, at, when bedtime came along, I would get up and I would go to bed and I would sleep in my bed and then get back up and go to my desk. And it was just, I just revolved in this little triangle, but I really never used any of the house except for my little home office. I mean, that's where I was. And I was thinking, man, if I had a home office in my RV, I wouldn't need this house. So that's when I really started thinking about getting out of that house and getting out of the rent that I was paying on that house. But I didn't have anything set in stone because I had so much crap. I had a sick, like I said, I had a 66 Mustang. Uh, I had a Harley. I had all this stuff. I had another truck. I had my Land Rover. I had all of this stuff. This house was packed full of crap. And so I just didn't really, you know, and then I had the RV really didn't know what to do with all of my stuff. But I really started looking at, hey, I think I could transition into the RV. I mean, it was a it was a, it was something I was really looking at. And I uh, had done a couple of videos for my YouTube channel. I'd started the YouTube channel, done a couple of videos with Casey, my girlfriend at the time, which we really didn't even know what the hell we were doing. If you look back at those videos, they're pretty horrible, but it's kind of funny to watch them now because, you know, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it was only 2014. And, uh, but I look, you know, and, and I was thinking, man, I just don't know that I need this house. And I ended up booking on another show in LA called, um, it was called Dear White People. And it was a Netflix show and it was shooting at the same studios that, uh, Charlie Sheen shot anger management after, uh, the three men or whatever ended. Um, he got into that whole thing and he started shooting that new show, Anger Management. So we were shooting on the same stage that they used for that show. And that stage is a joke. It is like an old warehouse that they turn into a stage. And it's just, it's, it's not a nice stage when you've worked at like Fox and Paramount and Universal and the big lots. And all of a sudden you find yourself on this little rinky dinky, 
you know, used to be a furniture warehouse or something stage and up in Sun Valley. You know what I mean? So it was just like, uh, but the show was paying me well. The crew was very nice, uh, but the show was hell. Um, and it was really taxing on me. And I was leaving my dog for like 12 hours a day. Cause sometimes we were working 12, 14, 15 hours a day. So I was leaving my dog for a week while I was working on the show and he was by himself all of this time and he was using the bathroom on the floor, you know I mean? What, what, what else was he supposed to do? So, uh, you know, it was just, it was just a mess. So I started trying to think about what I was going to do with my dog because I knew, uh, I booked on this show to make, to, to make all that money back that I'd blown through with my girlfriend. Uh, cause I had a, a nice little nest egg that could have lasted me six or seven months, but because I had a girlfriend, it only lasted like two, two, almost three months. Um, so I was looking for another show where I could work on a show for three months and then leave and then have this little traveling nest egg again. So that's why I booked on the dear white people as a staff, uh, PA. And, um, so I was working every single day and, but I was in a panic over finding somebody to take care of my dog. I started thinking, well, uh, my dog Charlie can't stay by himself. So I ended up, uh, making a post on Facebook and I had a previous love interest. Actually, she was an assistant. She was my assistant first. And then we dated a little bit and then we realized we could just be friends because we really weren't compatible, but we were really good friends. She offered to take care of my dog and she had taken care of my dog once before when I was in Miami or Florida, not Miami. I was in Florida shooting a music video, directing a music video. And she took care of my dog while I was out of town at that time. I should have remembered that she lost my dog during that time. Uh, and I was out on a runway with, we had flight, the FAA had give us like approval for to get one one pass with this jet, this private jet, and land it. We had to do it in one take. And right in the middle, right when the plane's taking off, she call or uh, some my ex-wife calls me from Dallas because my dog was chipped. So when he was lost, whoever found him called the the chip people call my ex-wife. So my ex-wife calls me. So I call uh, Loretta to say, what the hell is going on? It, why is my where's my dog? Uh, so it was a mess. Uh, come to find out she, the, he had a chip, so that he was found and I was able to get a hold to her and she was, the Loretta was able to go pick him up, but she lost him. So I should have known better, but, uh, I was kind of in a tight spot and nobody else, no one else, um, no one, none of my other friends, all my other friends had gotten married or, you know, the people that had watched him before, you know, they'd gotten married, they were dating, they were having lives of their own. So nobody else volunteered, but her. So she lived out in Victorville, which is about a hundred miles from Joshua Tree. It's about a hundred miles from LA. It's 99 miles, I think. I left work, had Charlie here with me, but he was in the motorhome. And then we went home to Joshua Tree on a Friday night. And then we stayed the weekend in Joshua Tree. And then on Sunday night, I drove to Victorville and dropped Charlie off. And then I drove on to LA to be at work on Monday. So if I remember right, it's been a while, but, um, that's the way it went. And then, so I was, I, I breathed a sigh of relief because I had somebody to watch my dog. So now I could concentrate on working on this show and getting through this show and then having a little money in my bank account again and, uh, having a little cushion. So everything was going good. And then four or five days, I think it was about a week into working on the show. I get a phone call while I was on set and lo and behold, it was the girl's mother 
that was watching my dog and and granted this girl is not a little girl we're not talking about a teenager that's watching my dog she's a grown woman that had a child of her own she had a look of her own that was probably 11 uh, so she's 30, maybe 31, 32, Loretta was. And, uh, but her, she has her mother call me to tell me that my dog has passed away and he's been killed and they don't know what happened. They just found them dead. So that was a very traumatic experience for me. And I wasn't expecting that. It took me by surprise. I also lost my oldest son in weird circumstances like that, where I never really knew what happened. Uh, so to have my dog do the same thing, which I'd had that dog for 10 years. Some people say it's just a dog. Uh, Charlie and I had rode my Harley from Florida to California. He rode the motorcycle with me. That's how close that dog and I were. We were like, I mean, he was like my kid, literally. Um, and so losing him brought back a lot of uh, when I lost my son and it was just a mess. So I was just kind of a, I was a mess. I ended up walking out on that job. I walked out cause they told me I could leave, you know, I should just leave. And, uh, so I drove that night. I mean, she called me like it, it was probably five in the afternoon and I went and got in my truck straight and got in my truck and drove a hundred miles straight from, uh, the studio or the, the lot, the, where we were shooting dear white people. I drove straight from the stage, uh, all the way out to Victorville and picked up my dog's body and then took him home to Joshua tree and, uh, spent like a week in Joshua tree trying to figure out what I was going to do. But losing Charlie, it just, uh, it changed everything for me. I didn't care, you know, and then I felt guilty. I felt really guilty because, uh, he had gotten killed, you know, and it was just, uh, you know, I was trying to do the right thing by him. Oh, there's planes going over. We're close to LAX guys. If you can hear the planes and the mic, I apologize. Um, uh, we're, we're not that close to LAX, but we're close to where the planes route going. They fly right over my head, flying into land at LAX, I should say. So anyway, uh, yeah, once I lost Charlie, it just really, uh, a, a switch clicked in me and, um, I just really started thinking about doing something different. You know what I mean? I just really didn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy where I was right there, uh, in life at the time. And then within a week later, uh, I'd went back to LA to try to do some things in LA and, um, I came home and I found a 60 day vacate notice on the door of my house. And basically what was going on is, um, the real, the realty market out in Joshua tree had completely changed. When I moved out there, nobody wanted to live there. It was the desert and nobody wanted to live there. But within the three years that I lived there, all of the LA hipsters started coming out on the weekends and then they realized how cheap property was out there compared to LA. So they started buying up all of the property and turning it in and remodeling it into these nice little, you know, hipster chateaus, uh, and you know, with the cow skulls and, you know, the stainless steel appliances and making them look all modern and, you know, uh, just, you know, making them look like something in the Hollywood Hills. And then they would Airbnb them. So the property value skyrocketed out there. So anybody that owned property was trying to, to sell and you couldn't blame them. You know, I didn't blame them. So I ended up getting a 60 day, a 60 day vacate notice on my door. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, a you know, it was, it is what it is. Uh, but I still wasn't thinking about moving into the RV at that time. But I had even had that, even though I'd had that inclination when I got the 60 day vacate notice, the first thing I was panicked because I was like, Oh my God, I got to find a place to live. I got to find a house. 
So I immediately started looking at houses around the area because, you know, if I'm losing this house, well, you know, I've got good rental history here. I'll just get a different house. So I started looking at houses. And sure enough, in Yucca Valley, I found a house that I absolutely fell in love with. Now, this house was in the city. It was right around neighbors. The house I had in Joshua Tree was on five acres. So I could literally walk around in the backyard pretty much in my underwear and nobody was really going to see me unless somebody was on the road driving by. But there was no neighbors that were going to be seeing me. I never saw my neighbors. I never seen the neighbors in their yard. I don't think they really saw me. We would see each other driving by uh, from time to time when we were leaving, going to town, that kind of thing. But we really didn't see any neighbors. But... uh, yeah, so this house, though, was in the, it was in the town of Yucca Valley, but it was a very modern cabin type, type house, which was really right down my alley. It had a flat roof. I mean, it had like a, a staccato tile. I mean, it was just, it was way more aesthetically what I was into. And it was cheaper than the house that I was living in. Uh, it was, I think it was 685 I believe it was six eighty five, and I was paying seven ninety five for the house that I was in. So I was stoked, and it had a garage, which I was not going to move into another house that didn't have a garage. So it had a garage. So I it had every single thing that I wanted, and it was way more the type of house that I actually wanted to live in. The house that I had had before. I just really wanted a garage because my motorcycle was outside and my truck was sitting outside and the weather, I could just see the weather just wearing on both of them. So I really wanted a garage. So I found this house. I talked to the realtor. I told her that my rental situation and what was going on and she was all about it. I mean, basically she said the house was mine and I went to sleep the last night or this night and I was thinking about the house, thinking about the house. And I just remember being like, stung in the middle of the night, but I kind of woke up and I didn't know if it was a dream, but I felt like something was on my face and I like swatted something away from my face. But then I kind of, I finally had like a burning sensation in my face, but then I thought it was a dream or I wasn't sure what was going on, but it it happened in my, when I was in really deep sleep. So I wasn't sure if I was dreaming it or if it was really happening. Long story short, I woke up the next morning with a ginormous thing on my eye. And I'm not going to drag this story out. I'll just tell you, I was bitten in my sleep by a camel spider. If you don't know what a camel spider is, look them up on the internet. They're big in Iraq, uh, but it's basically a giant desert spider that was bigger than my hand. Uh, And I got bit on the face by a camel spider. And and people will tell you that they're harmless. And that is not true. They will bite you and their bites get infected. So basically, they're not poisonous, but their fangs or whatever will infect you. So I ended up having this golf ball size tumor, like tumor on, on my eye, on the side of my head, on my temple, right beside my eye. And um, I ended up being in bed for like a week, sick. I was so sick, I couldn't even get up. And I would like get up and clean this wound, this huge tumor thing that I had on my face or my, uh, the, my side of my head. And I had a wedding coming up to shoot that next weekend. So I was just so stressed out, but I was just sleeping all the time because I was so sick. I I was so sick from the spider and everybody I talked to said, Oh man, you got to get up. You got to go to the doctor. You got to go to the hospital. You got to go to the doctor. You got to go to the hospital. Uh, you need to go to the emergency room. And I don't like doing any of that stuff. You know what I mean? And so, 
I just toughened it out and I cleaned the thing myself. You know, I, I used, uh, uh, rubbing alcohol, uh, peroxide, uh, turmeric. I even put turmeric on it. Um, you know, just different things just to clean it. And, and I ended up doctoring it like three or four times a day. And I ended up being healed enough to like that Saturday, I ended up going to that wedding to shoot that wedding. And my eye was pretty much, you couldn't tell what had happened to me, which to me was miraculous because four days before that, I was literally trying to figure out how I was going to shoot this wedding and cover this ginormous golf ball type tumor thing I had on the side of my head. I was going to cover it up and nobody would see it. You know, I'm thinking about galls or, you know, those great big, uh, you know, bandage pads and that kind of thing. Um, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my story on how I became a nomad. So in a way I ended up, uh, Sorry, guys, there's some noise going on down below me. I'm at work, and this place is a manufacturing facility, so nobody's quiet around here, so it's kind of hard to do podcasting uh, when I'm at work here. But uh, just trying to get this podcast, first podcast uh, for uh, Gone Nomad done. But anyway, uh, yeah, I got bit by the camel spider. Needless to say, I uh, during that time, the lady didn't hear from me. She had tried to call me a couple of times, and because I was basically in a deep fever and basically, uh, you know, just in a deep sleep and didn't even really know what was going on. Uh, I was just in and out of consciousness kind of for like a week. Uh, and I would wake up and I would think about that house and I would think, Oh, it'll, it'll be there. It'll be there. Wrong. I woke up. And, uh, the first thing I did when I woke up and I was feeling better was I uh, texted the real estate agent and she goes, Oh honey, I rented that house Wednesday. I was like, Oh my God. She goes, I tried to get a hold of you. I tried to get a hold of you and I could not get a hold of you. So yeah, I rented it Wednesday. They've already moved in. I already gave them the keys yesterday. There are the new, the new renters are already in there. And I was like, Oh, but I would already signed all the paperwork and everything. She goes, honey, you didn't put the deposit down. And it was true. I didn't, I had meant to give her the deposit because everything was going so smoothly. I didn't even think about it. I wasn't even too worried about it. Uh, you know, I was just like, I'll give her the deposit, you know, when I, uh, get the keys and, you know, get moved in and everything. I'd already passed the, I'd already passed the, uh, application, but I just didn't pay. I paid the application fee, but I just didn't pay the deposit. So basically I lost the house and that sent me, uh, looking for another house. And I ended up looking for a month and did not find anything. And in the back of my mind, I knew that if I didn't find a house, I could always move into Bertha, my RV. And I had 60 days to move out of my house, remember? Well, I looked for a house for two months and couldn't find anything that was even remotely close to what I wanted for the price I wanted. Everything was $1,200. I'd missed out on my good, cheap opportunity of a house that I really did want. Um, but, you know, it's like everything happens for a reason, right? So I knew that I had... If push come to shove, I could always move into Bertha, my RV. And as the days went by, I ended up, I said, if I don't find a house and I have a month left, I will use that last month to sell all of my stuff and move into my RV. And that is exactly what happened. And if you've never seen my YouTube channel, I documented it all that when I started moving out of my house. Uh, it's all documented on my YouTube channel, Vagabond Days, which has now been rebranded to Nomad News. If you haven't seen my YouTube channel, please 
uh, scoot on over there, check it out. Uh, look back through episodes. There's episodes of me traveling to Texas and in Mexico and, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And now it's a nomad news where I try to keep you in the know with everything that's in the nomad community. But anyway, that is my venture into van life. I know it was a long, drawn-out version. You probably got sick of me listening to me talk about it, but that's the long way around how I got into van life. And I basically moved into my RV. Gosh, I don't even remember. It's like going on three years now. And uh, yeah, 2014. And so, no, 2014, 15, I don't know. I'd have to look back and see exactly what date it was. But yeah, it's going on three years. And uh, the only thing that I regret, there is a major regret. And the only thing that I regret is that I didn't do it sooner. If I had known what I know now, I would have never rented that house in Joshua Tree. Well, I, I enjoyed living. I, I like to be able to say I lived in Joshua Tree for three years because it's such a mystic place and people are so enamored by Joshua Tree that it's kind of cool that when people start talking about, hey, have you ever been to Joshua Tree, man? Like I go out there every time I get a chance. It's so cool. I'm like, dude, I lived there for three years. Oh, wow. Really? You know, it's that kind of thing. I enjoyed living and spending my time there in Joshua Tree. If I had it to do over again, I would have only lived in Joshua Tree for a year and I would have moved into my RV probably right around the time I bought it. If I had it to do over again, I would have went nomad right really quick after I bought my RV and I would have saved so much money, so much money. But anyway, guys, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Gone Nomad. I'm kind of long-winded, so hopefully if you're driving and listening to this, you know, uh, it just isn't dragging out, and you hope. hopefully I enjoyed it and I kept you on the edge of your seat. And You know, I kind of bounce around in stories because I'm just kind of telling it as my mind is seeing it. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of the way this podcast is going to roll. Hopefully we're going to be having some guests on this podcast uh, soon. That's going to be something that I look at is getting other nomads on the podcast, whether they call into the podcast and I interview them over the phone line or if we actually have them in studio and maybe we can record them and make a YouTube video about it and do an audio version as well. And I don't know on the Nomad News if I'm going to be uh, doing the audio version of that and downloading it to no, to Gone Nomad, or if I'm just going to have uh, its own separate episodes. I haven't made up my mind yet. So, you know, head over to uh, head over to YouTube and uh, check out my Nomad News. Search for Nomad News. Head over to YouTube and check that out and uh, let me know what you think. Leave a comment down there and let me know if you think I should keep them separate or, you know, if I should uh, be downloading the Nomad News uh, audio to uh, the Gone Nomad podcast. But like I said, hopefully we're going to get a guest on here uh, within hopefully the first five episodes because I really like having guests on the podcast. Uh, If you have any suggestions, guys, on things you want me to cover about van life, I'm here uh, full time in L.A. I'm, uh, you know, I'm basically a city dweller doing this full-time uh, step van life is what I call it because I live in a step van. Uh, but if uh, you have any questions, hey, I'd be glad to try to answer them, you know, I'll, and I'll do it as honestly as I can. Uh, so if you have anything, uh, you know, hit me up uh, in the comments on YouTube or, you know, find me on Instagram at snap on tiny truck, snap on truck tiny home there we go snap on truck tiny home on instagram you can find me at just simply snap on on twitter that's a really good place to tweet at me if you have twitter uh and then i'm vagabond days on facebook because facebook won't let me change my name 
Anyway, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of Gone Nomad. And remember, guys, everything you've ever wanted is sitting right on the other side of fear. Peace. Safe travels.